Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, by whom you made all things. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive your word, namely Jesus Christ himself. We pray, Lord, that through the preaching and proclamation of your word, that the gospel would be made clear. And Lord, where my words keep that from happening, I pray, Father, that they would all fall away and that you uh, would be seen clearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to be back in Jackson. So since the last time I saw you, which was last Sunday, uh, Janie and I uh, have spent uh, the last several days, last week, in um, Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, we were out there for a church planting conference for um, our church planting network that we are a part of called Always Forward. So that is a, a, a conference put on by the Anglican Church in North America. Uh, it's also put on by our church planning coach, so, and Janie is on staff there, so it was kind of like we had to be there. Um, but it was beautiful, it was wonderful. If you've um, been to North Carolina recently, it's actually cool there. They have fall. We got home about uh, midnight of uh, Friday night and opened the doors of the car, and it was humid and it was hot again. It was like, oh my gosh, when is fall going to come to Tennessee? Um, but it's good to be back. Um, it was a very good and refreshing time uh, for me personally, um, and I know for Janie as well. One of the reasons for that is um, because, as I've shared with you over the last week or so, um, that uh, we've sort of been wearing ourselves out, Janie and I have. Um, and when, when that happens, um, you, sort of, uh, you sort of lose sight of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and so while we were out there and at this conference, we were reminded once again why we wanted to plant Mission St. James. And we're so glad that we have and that we did and that we are. And we're so glad and thankful for each one of you. Um, but one of the reasons I think it was so refreshing for, for me is I have to be reminded very often that I'm not enough. I'm not enough. You have to be reminded Probably often, maybe not as often as I do, but that you are not enough. You and I face many things that we have to do for our jobs, for our families, and just to get out of bed, and all the things that we uh, encounter during the day. And we always get to the end of the day. I know I probably have had this conversation with every one of you. There's not enough hours in the day. And that's why we have to rest. That's why God has given us the Sabbath. It is to remind us that we can never be enough. We can never do enough. Well, why am I bringing all of this up? Is it to make you feel sorry for me? Well, no. I hope, I hope we are connecting on this. I hope we have this in common. But uh, one of the things is because, uh, because when we get to that point where we, we, we know that we have so much to do and we can't possibly do it all, we start to get anxious. We start to worry about what's going to happen because I can't get it all done. I can't do it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we start to worry and we start to have fears, right? For me, it's, oh, Mission St. James is going to fall apart. And what this does 
is that it exposes where our trust actually lies. Anxiety is a good measuring tool for us to measure where our anxiety is coming from and what it is that we're actually putting our trust in. And a lot of times I put my trust in my own abilities to get everything done and do everything that's required of a church plant. Um, And I am reminded that I'm not enough. I need your help. And you give that. We help each other. That's what it means to be the church, right? We are here for one another. And so we started last week a, a sermon series in the book of Philippians on anxiety. And this is why this is so important, because anxiety is all outside these walls, isn't it? We are anxious, you know, living in an anxious world. There are not the things that we thought were once stable are no longer stable, or we don't perceive them to be stable through economy and politics and government and uh, ecology and the environment. All of these things, ethics and morals, all of these things seem to be a little bit stable, and they seem to be so less stable now. And when we have all of this anxiety that, that accumulates out there, we bring it in here. And last week we talked about what it means to be a gospel community, a community that are united in faith, striving side by side, as Paul said it, for the faith of the gospel. And so what we want to be is a community of faith united in one mind, which is the mind of Christ in the gospel. Because when we do that, it exposes where our true trust lies, right? Our trust lies in Christ. Our trust lies in the gospel, not in the things that cause all the anxiety out there. And so just as a reminder of last week, that was what Paul wanted the Philippians to know. He's writing from prison. Um, he, we think he was probably in prison awaiting his trial in Rome. And he's telling them, like, look, don't distress over this. Because I am here in prison, I am sharing the gospel with the prison guards. I'm sharing the gospel with all of the prisoners. This is great, Paul says. So don't worry about me. I'm great. He's writing from a place of joy. When I might be in Paul's situation and be totally anxious, Paul's writing from a place of joy. He's joyful. And he wants the Philippians to be joyful as well. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, the first um, 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. It might be helpful uh, if you have a Bible, if you want to go back and look at the the last two verses of chapter 1. I'll read those. This will be out of the ESV. Uh, Paul says there, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay, so the picture that we're getting is that Philippians are starting to experience the same persecution that he's experiencing in prison. And he's imagining and he knows what that does. It heightens anxiety. It gives us worry. If you remember last week, we said that the definition of anxiety is that physiological and emotional response to a threat, which is either real or perceived. 
It's a physiological, so it's a biological and emotional response to a threat, which is, it can be either a real threat or a, a perceived threat. And so this creates more, and when we have tension, that's when conflict and tension arises. And so they are facing a threat of persecution, just as Paul did. And he is modeling for them suffering with joy. And he's calling them to be a community of joy, to be a community of joy. So, yes, you're going to suffer what I'm suffering, but I don't want you to fret. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to have anxiety. Look at me. I'm having a blast over here from prison. Now, I don't think he's saying I'm having a blast, but he is joyful in the midst of his suffering. So that's, our, that's the context for the first couple of verses. So look at the first couple of verses of uh, chapter 2. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And we just went through the book of Romans, and what we, what we saw in the book of Romans is that by faith, we have been justified in Christ. This is, the, this is the gospel. We have been reconciled to God because of what Christ has done on the cross. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins, and not only that, but God raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 6, Paul makes the point that we have been united to him in our baptism. We have been united to his death so that his death counts as our death and raised to new life. So his resurrection counts as ours. And though we await a physical death, our, 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 our final resurrection is guaranteed because Christ has been raised from the dead. So we are united. And so what Paul is saying here is that if that's the case, if we are united if there's any participation in the Spirit. So the first thing I think what we need to learn from what Paul is saying here is that you and I are united together in the faith by the Spirit. And what, is the, what, did, uh, what did Jesus tell us about the, his Spirit? He said it was our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And this is what he's saying. If that is the case, if it is true that we are united in the resurrected Jesus Christ, then we have encouragement, right? That we have, uh, we have encouragement, we have comfort, because we are participating in him, in Christ. Verse 2, complete my joy, he says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So complete my joy. So that is the, the image here that I think that we have of, of what Paul's doing is like, Paul's like, look, I'm sitting in prison. My cup of joy, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty full, y'all. You know what would be great? If you would top it off. Complete my cup of joy. You know what would complete my cup of joy? If you'd send a group over here and bust me out of prison. That's not what he said. He didn't say, what would complete my joy if you sent some friends over to encourage me? That's not what he said. To complete my joy, to end my suffering, that's what would complete my joy. That's not what he said, to have the same mind. I want you to have the joy as you face persecution and as you face suffering. I want you to experience this as well. And I want you to have the same mind, not just of me, but with one another. 
I want you all to have the same mind, the same mind of Jesus Christ, which he'll, he'll tell us here in a moment. Look at verses three and four. So what does this look like, that we have the same mind and full accord? Well, he says to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So don't do anything from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. So the, the, the word that he's using here is a word that actually kind of means rivalry. Um, it's, it's not just being selfish and, and having a high, you know, you and I might have certain goals. We want to aspire to certain things. That's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, is setting yourselves up, setting ourselves up to be in a place to rival whatever uh, authority that God has placed us under and to rival one another. It's vying for influence. Selfish ambition is vying for influence. And and this creates anxiety. Why does this create anxiety? Because we're always trying to measure ourselves up against someone to see if we're better than them. And we want to guarantee that we're going to be better than them. We're going to be smarter than them. As an example of what this might look like, just go to your place of work or school or wherever you spend most of your time during the week and just uh, bring up, make a comment about the President of the United States. And you'll see what happens, right? Then comes all of the armchair politicians that come out and say, well, this is how I would do it. This is not how, this is not the right way to do it. You could substitute that with any leader, your boss, right? Your professor. Well, this is how I'd run a zoo. If this was my circus, this is what I would do. But what's the first thing that you think that happens for every leader when they get into that position? Oh, no. I have no idea what to do. <laughs> it's because we think we always know until we're in that place and we go, oh, I don't think anybody knows what, the, what they're supposed to be doing. So that's that, to do nothing from that position is what Paul is saying. We don't want to be um, ambitious in that way, selfishly, nor are we to be conceited. This is to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So what is the opposite of that? Well, he says that in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. In humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. This makes me think of what Paul says. He says that this is a trustworthy saying, right? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I, uh, of who I am the foremost. Paul saw himself as the greatest sinner. Now, does he imagine us lining everyone up and trying to figure out who the greatest sinner was? No. Paul was more familiar with his own depth of depravity and sin than anyone else. He knew. He knew the depth of the sin. And that's how he can always consider others to be greater and more significant than himself. And that's what he's calling us to do. But, not, but notice something. He doesn't say, he, he says, uh, what he does not say is, let each of you look not only, uh, uh, count others more important than yourselves or more or better than yourselves. He says more significant. So just think about this for a second. 
What is your significance? What is my significance? Is my significance on my abilities? Is your significance on your abilities? No, our significance is in the very fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died for us, which is the point that he'll get to next. Skip down to verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Uh, a lot of commentators will call this the great Christ hymn or something like that. They see in this a hymn. Um, it's not laid out as a hymn. We don't know if it actually was a hymn, but this is one of the greatest passages in the New Testament because it very succinctly tells us what G- the significance of Jesus' incarnation. So I want to walk through this a little bit. Jesus Christ having humility. This is our example of humility. Okay, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, so this has always been a very difficult, this is a very awkward sentence. I think it's even awkward in the Greek. So it's a very difficult um, way of understanding or stating something. So I want us to stop and take a look at it because it's always been confusing to me. What does this passage mean? What is this verse talking about? Um, Well, let's look at it. Though he was in the form of God. The the picture that Paul is painting for us here is Jesus Christ, the word of God, the one through whom God made all things. The word is in the form of God. He has equality with God. He is God. And he wants us to understand that the word of God, we are Trinitarian. We believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe that there's one God and three persons. This is a divine mystery. But what he's telling us is that Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, had all the rights and privileges of the creator of the universe because all things were created for him and by him and through him. Rights and privileges. Rights and privileges. He was king of all things. That's what, that's what he wants us to understand in that verse. Or in that, he was in, through, in the form of God. But he goes on to say, but Jesus Christ did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. So this is always a hard thing to, to understand. But what he's, what he's saying here is all those rights and privileges that he had, He didn't consider those things to be held on to tightly. He was willing to give those things up. And friends, this is the picture of humility. Jesus Christ gave up his rights and his privileges. He gave them up. Not something to be held on to, some translations say, or to be grasped. Instead, what he did, verse 7, was empty himself. How? By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Being born in the likeness or subjecting himself to his own creation. You and I are created in the image of God. 
And what Jesus does is he humbles himself and takes the form of a servant rather than the form of a king. And this is our model, our picture of humility that, that, Paul, that Paul is calling the Philippians to in us as well. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Going to the greatest length, this is what Jesus did, and this is our pattern. This is what Paul is calling the Philippians to. Because why? This is the path to joy. This is the path to joy. For the, for the, the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. There is joy on the other side of suffering. There is joy on the other side of anxiety. There is joy on the other side of crucifixion, on the other side of the cross. And friends, this is what the gospel is. This is the good news of the gospel. And we have it as a guarantee because we have received the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, who will do what he did for Jesus Christ in his flesh, which was raise him up to new life. And this is the gospel. And this is what Paul said. Have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the path to joy. This is the antidote. I looked this up. If you look up in the thesaurus and you look up uh, anxiety, the antonym, one of the opposites of anxiety, there's many, but one of them is joy. It's joy. The opposite of anxiety is joy. So what we are called to is to be a community of joy in a very anxious world, a world that is very unstable, a world that is making terrible decisions and choices because it doesn't know what truth is. But friends, you and I have been given the gospel. We have been given the truth. We are called to be a community of joy in the midst of a great and anxious world and time. And if we don't learn to be a community of joy, to replace anxiety with joy, then we'll just be as anxious as any other group or community out there. And the path to it is through humility. Jesus endured the cross. He humbled himself and endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know, in a few minutes, we will take Holy Communion together. Um, Janie and I, a a number of years ago, uh, we had a terrible miscarriage. Uh, very, very sad and very, very difficult. But the church wrapped its arms, her arms around us at that time and took such great care of us. They were bringing us meals and that sort of thing. And I remember uh, a friend of ours from our church um, came and brought probably dinner with, with us or to us. But it, he held like a bag. I don't know. This was years ago. He, I, I think he had a bag in his hand that had maybe a couple bottles of wine in it. And I opened the door and I saw that and I said, Greg. You're the minister of joy because he's bringing wine. Why? Well, wine is a sign of joy. 
He, he loves that. Every time I see him, he says, oh, I remember that. You, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Because it was. It was. When, when you and I come to the table, we drink the cup with joy. We drink the, the wine, the blood of Christ, with joy. Because Jesus humbled himself for us. That's how you and I are significant. Because he didn't consider his majesty as something not to be given up. But he gave it up for you and I. We're called to do the same for each other. We're called to be a community of joy, a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. And we can't do it on our own. We're not enough. We're not good enough. We can't do that on our own. We are desperate for the Spirit, our comforter, to work this in our lives together. So let us pray for that. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to fill us with joy. We ask that your Holy Spirit would take out anxiety and replace it with joy. Not magically, but teach us, Lord, when we argue together, when we fight, when we experience conflict, we pray that you would remind us through your spirit to humble ourselves as your son did. That we might replace anxiety with joy. And so that Mission St. James might be a home, a place for the wanderer to dwell and to be a place of peace and a place of joy, a refuge in a storm, in the midst of a storm of anxiety outside. And so we pray that you would work this in for each of us, Lord, that we might grow and be a community of joy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.